Hello, readers. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this is a bookend brought to you by Quail Ridge Books, Raleigh, North Carolina's trusted community bookstore. My guest today is Karen Tucker. Her fiction has appeared in the Missouri Review, the Yale Review Online, Tin House, Boulevard, Epoch, and elsewhere. Her new book is Bewilderness, which is published by our friends at Catapult. Karen, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. I'm really glad to be here. It is an honor to have you here. And Karen, my first question for you, you are currently teaching at UNC. What challenges has this past year brought you as a teacher at the University of North Carolina? Ah, uh, where do I start? Um, it, I mean, I, I was hired to this fantastic job by Daniel Wallace and Marianne Ginger and Bland Simpson, um, three incredible North Carolina writers in the summer of 2020 in the middle of things. Um, so I moved to Carborough from Asheville that fall. We had one week of classes and then we all went home and did zoom for the rest of the year. Mm -hmm. So then I was in my little apartment in Carborough, not knowing anyone and just basically commuting, communicating with undergraduates through my little tiny laptop. Mm -hmm. So that was hard. Um, and then luckily we're, we've been able to work in the classroom this year with masks, which has been fantastic, but it still is pretty exhausting. And I think students and faculty and staff alike are having mental health challenges yeah. and we likely will not know the extent of those for a while. For sure. Absolutely. Well, um, thank you. And we are thankful for uh, Daniel and the uh, creative writing department at UNC's sponsorship of the North Carolina book festival, which we haven't had for um, since right before COVID broke out, but we look forward to reconvening that festival as soon as uh, authors are touring again. Um, well, thank you, Karen. Let's now dive into your excellent new novel, Bewilderness. In your first paragraph, um, you describe Luce, and am I pronouncing that, is it Luce or Lucy? Luce. Excellent. You describe your character Luce as someone who, quote, was the kind of person who needed to scrape more out of life than most, end quote. What do you mean by this? Luce in my mind is someone who has a larger need to be than mm. some of us. Um, maybe that need to be comes from a sense of not having enough, <laughs> whether it's not enough love, not enough you know, income, not enough security. Um, I think that greater need often comes from a greater lack. Mm -hmm. And um, while this is fiction, certainly I myself have had outsized needs at times in my life as have mm -hmm. my friends and family. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Karen. Um, your character, Wiley, who, spoiler alert, but not much of one really, uh, dies in the first chapter of the book, is described as someone who goes around trusting everybody on the planet, no matter how little they might deserve it. My question is, uh, do you know people like this? And do you think this character trait is a positive or a negative? For example, should you go around distrusting everyone? 
Um, I've heard it said that every character in a writer's book um, is the writer to some degree. And, and so again, I myself have been overly trusting and regretted it. Mm-hmm. I've been um, overly distrusting and regretted it. Um, so I, I, I really don't have a good answer. I think if I had that answer, I might not have had to write that character. In many ways, yeah. writing these characters helped me, you know, at least interrogate my own questions as much as anything. Absolutely. That's a fair answer. Thank you so much, Karen. Friends, this is a good time to mention the Crook's Corner Book Prize, what Pulitzer Prize winner Charles Fraser calls the coolest book prize in the country. Awarded annually for the best debut novel set in the American South, the $5,000 prize is intended to encourage emerging writers, whether published by established publishing houses, small independent publishers, or self-published authors. This year's winner will be chosen by best-selling novelist and poet Ron Rash and will be announced in January 2022. For more information, visit www.crookscornerbookprize.com. Karen, back to your novel. Um, Early in your novel, the moon is described as a 30 milligram moon. For our listeners who are unfamiliar, can you tell us what this means and how it is important to your story? Bewilderness is about, among other things, opioid addiction. And 30 milligrams refers to a common um, pill, uh, quantity milligrams. You can have 5, 10, 15, 30. You used to be able to buy as much as 160 milligrams, or or I should say be prescribed Mm -hmm. 160 milligrams. Um, that That clearly was understood to be too much um, and was taken off the market and eighties, I think were taken off the market or, or, or at least are exceedingly hard to come by 30 is pretty common in the community for abuse. Um, it's not the pr- prescribed as often anymore. It, in fact, among the victims of, of the opioid crisis are people who experience legitimate pain and, and now can't get the medication they need. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to talk about this a little bit more, Karen. Uh, recently, statistics were released that show that there were more reported drug overdoses in the United States this year than in any year in history. Uh, what is going on here, Karen? Why are so many people dying from drug overdoses? Because fentanyl is mm-hmm. now primarily the only thing that you can buy. Now, if you are prescribed um, pain medication for a legitimate injury and your doctor finds out that you've been abusing it, maybe you've just taken too much. You took all 30 days of your supply in 24 days and you call up on day 25, I really need more. Um, you, you won't, generally speaking, you won't get the medical help you need. You will in fact, be cut off from your supply. By Mm -hmm. that point, it's too late. So you turn to other sources. Someone says, I have this, I got a hold of these from my neighbor who doesn't need them anymore, who knows what various stories are out there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you you can manufacture a counterfeit pill, 
pretty cheaply. Fentanyl is extraordinarily powerful and, and quite cheap. You can buy pill presses on eBay. Um, mm. You can buy these fake pills online mm. and they're not difficult to come by. And if you don't have a tolerance, they can be fatal. So I would say that's a large part of it. Certainly the pandemic and all the accompanying anxiety um, and stressors you know, people take painkillers because they're in pain Hmm. and it sounds self-evident, but I think people forget that legitimate pain, whether it's emotional or physical precedes this. If we can help treat pain um, before it comes to the point of having to seek dangerous sources to relieve it, then we'll see the numbers go down. Thank you, Karen. Do you think most people who are dealing with addictions are buying their pills like on the streets or on kind of dark markets on the web? At one point early on in this, it wasn't hard to get prescriptions. In fact, you could get a number of prescriptions from multiple doctors or pain clinics mm-hmm. as that became you know, apparent that that's not ideal, having people with six different prescriptions running around. Um, and those supplies were choked off then. Um, you know, there's supply and demand. Okay. You can't get it here. Oh, I can, I have a solution for you. I do think, um, people are getting, not necessarily getting them from their grandmother anymore or from their primary care doctor, Mm. um, overseas purchases are, you know, are, are increasingly common. I had a family member who came very close to dying this January from um, pills that a friend who he had worked with gave him. Mm-hmm. Jeez. Yeah, it's a, an epidemic for sure and something that we will continue to deal with, I think. Um, thank you, Karen. Listeners, we are going to take a short break for a word from our sponsor, and then I will be right back with Karen Tucker. The Book and Podcast is sponsored by Libro FM Audiobooks. Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore, Quail Ridge Books. You can pick from more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro.fm, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name. But you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. Listeners of Bookin' can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter Bookin', B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. I'm back with Karen Tucker, author, Bewilderness, which is published by our friends at Catapult. Karen, can you tell us a little bit about Catapult Books and how you hooked up with them? I am in love with Catapult. Um, Yes, partially, of course, because they said, we want to publish your book, which was the, the most incredible moment, among the most incredible moments of my life. But if you look at their catalog and all the authors they champion and the work they put out, Um, They're very interested in not just storytelling, but actually, um, for the most part, storytelling that visibly um, takes a political stance or makes a difference or tries to, um, you know, point out injustice, um, raises questions 
that we need to ask ourselves, wake us up. Um, yeah, when, when this novel went out on submission, I was lucky that I had several editors take an interest. And with, with two exceptions, both of which are independent publishers, Catapult and someone else, um, the editors came back and said, our marketing department was not interested in your little opioid book, <laughs> which I think, you know, I, I think that says a lot about, you know, the stigmatized community and why it continues to be criminalized and why people continue to die. But two independent publishers said, well, okay, we're going to help get the word out and, and put this, and so I went with catapult my, the, the particular editor that, that, uh, Lee Newman, who's brilliant um, editor and writer, her, her collection's coming out next year. She understood the book and helped me make it a fuller version of itself. Excellent. Thank you so much. I'm a huge fan of, of Catapult and Soft Skull Press and uh, everything that they're doing. So I'm very happy that you landed with them. Um, let's jump back into your novel, Be Wilderness. Uh, Something in your novel at one point is described geographically as being on the far side of the mountain. And I have never lived in the mountains, uh, at least not since I can remember. Is this something that people do who live in the mountains refer to a location based on where it lies geographically on a mountain? And to flesh this question out, um, how well does one get to know a mountain when one lives on a mountain? I mean, I love that last question because it's true. When you're on the mountain, you can't really see it. You can't see it until you've driven away from it. And then you can see the outline in the distance. And I think there's a real connection between that and the retrospective narrator of this book or of any book. You, you can't really see things until you've stepped away. Right. As far as the far side of the mountain goes, it, it may be something that said, likely it is. I lived in Asheville for, for years. Um, Although this book is set in the Uori Mountains, where my dad was was born and raised, um, I, I I thought of like I didn't want to say the far side of the moon because I felt like that's an overused phrase. So I I guess I just kind of mixed it up a little bit, and it sounded right to me. So I think that's why I landed there. Yeah, great. And how would you compare Asheville to Carborough, or do you even know yet? Because you've only been there since the uh, pandemic has started. Like, are you into music? Have you been in the Cat's Cradle or anything? My partner is really into music. Um, <laughs> we haven't, again, been able to go out much. We've recently moved to Durham. So we're in Durham oh, now. Got it. Absolutely mm -hmm. love. We are in nice. Durham right now. Mm -hmm. um, but we, we, absolutely, we miss Asheville. We, we moved there um, in 2011. And from Los Angeles, mm -hmm. fell in love with, with the city and, and um, stayed, stayed until we left in, in 2020. By the time we left, the, the tourist trade had really expanded. I'd been waiting tables for a long time and, you know, ruined my body to a large degree working at Biltmore. Mm. And so I have a lot of affection for Asheville and also... Uh, I'm glad to do something else right now. 
Yeah, great. I have a lot of friends who moved from San Francisco to Asheville. There seems to be kind of like a California to Asheville pipeline. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, we could have never purchased a house in California mm. ever, in Los Angeles, never, ever. But when we moved there in 2011, we got this kind of broken down, unair conditioned house mm-hmm. a mile from downtown that was affordable and slowly we were able to fix it up bit by bit. Um, and that, that's the only way we could ever have afforded anything. Yeah, for sure. Well, um, thank you. Speaking of comparing towns, there's a moment in your novel when your protagonist debates the merits of Charlotte and Atlanta. What are those merits? And how do you imagine this debate would have turned out? The moment you're referring to is is before a pivotal um, storyline where she and Luce become friends. And at the moment, she's really frustrated with where she is in her life. It's It's chapter two, which is probably the first chapter in the timeline. And Mm -hmm. she's just witnessed um, a sexual assault at work. And Mm -hmm. she's like, now that I'm waiting tables and I actually know how to wait tables, she realizes it's a portable job. She she can quit and move anywhere and and probably find a a job in the service industry in food service because it is so terrible (laughs) and poorly paid. And it's not, you you can find a job. So she's thinking, well, should I get out of this tiny town and move to Charlotte or Atlanta? Mm -hmm. And then when she becomes friends with Luce, everything changes and she stays where she is. Yeah. Thank you. Um, About the food service industry as someone who has worked waiting tables and um, written about someone who has worked waiting tables. Do you have any opinions on um, the state of the industry as far as problems uh, that restaurants are having filling jobs on their wait staff right now? I mean, when I lived in California, we, we at least, it was, it was a very grueling job and we didn't have health insurance. Um, our, our, our bosses made sure that we didn't get enough hours to qualify for health insurance. If you got went over, they would send you home, um, or not let you come in for your shift, but at least you got your $8 an hour plus your tips. <laughs> Moving back to North Carolina, the first job I got when I returned here in 2011, I think I got $2 and 25 cents an hour plus my tips with no insurance or benefits. Then at Biltmore, they gave us, I think, $3 and 13 cents an hour mm-hmm. to work her, you know, of extremely wealthy family and company mm-hmm. um, at a very grueling demanding job. I, it, I think given when people were sent home and realized, Oh, for the first time in years, my body doesn't ache now that I've you know, had to sit home because of the pandemic for the first time I can actually not have, well, my waiter nightmares still linger, but mm-hmm. there's a lot of psychic trauma too with, with the service industry and having to have your, your livelihood depend on how well you please someone rather than doing your job. Well, it's a very, it's a, it's a job that's ableist. It's racist. It's sexist. Um, over and over again, research proves that anyone who isn't, you know, a straight white male, their income suffers. And, and so everyone, you know, everyone else scrambles to get to get money. And it, it's just there's so there's real reform that needs to be done. And I see some of it beginning to happen, mm-hmm. um, but not nearly enough. Yeah. Thank you so much, Karen. Um To close this interview, I'm going to ask a couple of questions about technology. Uh, First, there's a scene um, 
where a paramedic in the back of an ambulance is thumbing through notifications on her phone instead of paying attention to her patient or any questions about her patient. Uh, my question, using this scene as a reference, is what do you think is a more addictive behavior, taking pills or thumbing through smartphone notifications? And what is the way out of both of these types of addictions if there is a way out? Well, certainly one is proven to be fatal. Mm. And yes, there are, you know, moments where, you know, people get in car wrecks because they're texting, mm -hmm. but I don't think those numbers approach a hundred thousand, hundred thousand lives lost a year, as I believe was recently mm -hmm. noted for, for, um, for substance use. I don't know all I can speak from personal experience, the moments where I'm deepest in my writing, I don't feel compelled to check social media. Mm -hmm. And those moments are fleeting and, mm -hmm. but they do arrive. And I think the more often we can, you know, lose ourselves by which I mean, find ourselves mm -hmm. in something that moves us. Then I think the better off we'll be the trick is you know, finding that, cultivating it, being in a position to dedicate time to it. My job is quite busy. I, I can't even work on my own stuff for more than three or four days a week, which mm -hmm. is better than many people, but it's not quite enough for optimal mental health and from in my case. So still looking for balance. Absolutely there. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Karen. And finally, uh, one more question about technology. There's a chapter late in your novel that appears to take place on Reddit or some similar platform. What are the pluses and minuses of incorporating a medium such as Reddit into a novel? And also, since you include bots and moderators in this chapter, I'm hoping you can talk a little bit about your thoughts on a platform that is so heavily reliant on bots and moderators who sometimes spend all day, it seems, enforcing arbitrary rules, which often lead to censorship. I'll start with why I went with Reddit. I went, mm -hmm. I, I went with a Reddit chapter for a couple of reasons. Um, one, this, this novel is told in first person. So mm -hmm. it's narrated by someone who basically hogs the mic mm -hmm. and she's telling her own story and she often doesn't get it right. Mm -hmm. As I would say few of us get our own stories right at any given time, even with the benefit of distance. Mm -hmm. The Reddit chapter gave me the opportunity to introduce new voices into the novel and call this narrator out on her BS and say, no, you're wrong here. Or you've misunderstood this or look at you to give her terrible advice at times. Um, and and uh, there is some real wisdom in there as well. I, I in researching this novel, I, I found myself spending time on um, some subreddits with opioid use. And, and it's an incredible space it, when you're in a part of a community that's criminalized. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that's, you know, places like Reddit where it's anonymous. That's the only place you can go to say, look, I found someone gave me this. Someone look at a picture of this. Tell me if it's safe or not. Or what should I do if this happens or where someone tell me where can I get free Narcan. I, I don't have insurance right now, but my roommate's using again, and I really need to get Narcan in the house. Um, the whole, the subreddit's dedicated to harm reduction, but you can learn, you can learn about quite a lot 
um, just by paying attention. So it seemed like a very organic move for, for the novel. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as policing conversation, um, Reddit is, is in some ways highly policed and in some ways it's not policed. And, and the very, the many subreddits, there's a real range. Um, right now I'm spending time um, on a disability subreddit. I, I, I care for a parent who's disabled and I'm learning a lot there. So I do think it has real value. Um, if you, if you pay attention and don't go where you don't want to be. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Karen. And thank you for writing this excellent novel. I can't wait to feature it uh, in our store during this holiday shopping season and beyond. Uh, Listeners, I've been speaking with Karen Tucker, author of The Wilderness, which is published by our friends at Catapult. Karen, thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. This is a true pleasure. Once again, I would like to thank Karen Tucker for joining me. Copies of Be Wilderness can be ordered from www.quailridgebooks.com with free shipping for members of Readers Club Plus. I would also like to thank our sponsor, Libro FM Audiobooks. Please navigate over to Libro.fm and enter the promo code BOOKIN, that's B-O-O-K-I-N in the promo code space to get one free audiobook and support your favorite local independent bookstore in the process. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this has been Booking.